there's more to this life than I thought. And James inspires me. The things he says have encouraged me. It's like there's a walk, there's a path, and it's leading to something more real than I've ever known before, and it's exciting. I get around James and I hear things that help me in my life, my work. This work he talks about has become my work. I am excited about the possibility that other people could be affected, other people could be inspired to work on themselves, to grow, to, to realize there's more to this life. Esoteric teachings are not to make you happy, healthy, and wealthy. This is such a big shock to people. Exoteric teachings are to make you happy, healthy, and wealthy. They don't work, which is exactly why there are so many books, so many teachers, and so many seminars, because they don't work. Esoteric teachings do work, but they don't make you healthy, happy, and wealthy. The world is full of teachers with their books and their seminars with titles like Pray and Grow Rich, Seven Overlooked Secrets from the Bible. The recent flash-in-the-pan fad book and film, The Secret, is a good example of spinning esoteric truth into exoteric cash. It's an old story. How old? And after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he then became hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Incidentally, that is from Matthew chapter 4, verses 2 through 4, for those of you who like to look those things up and read them. And I encourage you to do that, not because you'll understand it, but because if you don't understand it, there is a possibility that by reading it, you could get a little more light on it when you read it in context. The thing is, is that's the first temptation for people. For us, for people in this world, the first temptation, because we live in this world, because we interface, as it were, with this world, and it's okay to use interface here because we are machines, and as machines, we interface with the world, and the way we interface with the world is through the five senses, and that's where we get our data from the five senses, and then we react, just like a machine, to the data that we received from the five senses. The five senses are like these input stations like a mouse or a touch screen or pads that you write on or a keyboard and the data comes in through the five senses and then our glitchy software reacts to it our buggy software reacts to it when it does this and it does that and then we have these patterns and these patterns are called programs and no matter how buggy the program is we work around it Look at how buggy our program is, our software. Here we are, these skin bags full of glitchy software all over the planet, coding the planet. Skin bags full of glitchy software coding the planet. The data comes in through the input terminals, these five senses, and we react to it. Our programming reacts to it. And we kill each other, and we steal from each other, and we hate each other, and we bomb each other, and we do an ethnic cleansing here, we destroy that kind. Or here, over here, there's this whole religion that needs to be wiped out. Over here, it's all children under this age that need to be eliminated. And over here, it's all people over this age that have to be eliminated, and like that. Or people with brown eyes have to be eliminated, or people with blue eyes have to be eliminated, or people with yellow skin have to be... Have you noticed there are no green people left, meaning people with green skin, we killed them all. They're all gone now. We've only got, you know, these white-skinned people and red-skinned people and yellow-skinned people and brown-skinned people and darker brown-skinned people.
people. And that's it. That's all that's left. Every, we say white people, but actually they're pink, aren't we? We're pink people. But pink is not very masculine, and we want to be masculine, so we call ourselves white, because white is right. You know, it's like that. It's all that. It's all that software that's buggy, and it does all these crazy things. It doesn't work. You can't fix it by putting different input into it. The software is still wrong. It doesn't matter what you type in. It's still inside of us. It's inside the machine. Something is wrong in here. And that's what needs to be changed. But these other people with their books and their seminars and their stuff about pray and grow rich and this secret and that secret, all of that is working on these outer things trying to fix them. Well, if I can just get all this outer stuff lined up just right, it won't give me any bad data and my software won't respond poorly. Well, that's not true. It doesn't work that way. What has to be fixed is in here. So when the tempter comes, he says, well, look, if you are such a hotshot, if you are who the world says you are, if you are who you think you are, if you are who this esoteric teaching says you are, if you are that, then make everything right in the world. Make everything right for yourself. If you're the Son of God, come down from the cross, then we'll believe you. If you're the Son of God, then do this. If, and see, that's really what esoteric teachings are saying. They're saying, look, you have the potential to be like a Son of God. You have the potential to be something eternal, something lasting, something one, something real, something whole. You have that potential. That is your birthright. That's what you are to be developing. That's what you're here for. And instantly, the exoteric part of us says, well, then if that's true, show me some signs. Feed me. Clothe me. Make me happy. Change the world. Heal that person over there. Heal yourself. All of that stuff. And he says, no, no, no. You got it all wrong. Man shall not live on bread alone. It's not these outer things alone but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Well, what does that mean? It means that real conscience and master will lead us to our birthright. That's what it means. And it means unless you can hear it and follow it, you will not get to it. That's what it means. Don't be discouraged by the scale. He fasted 40 days and 40 nights. Our fasting is more like 40 seconds. Or if we've been working, it could be four minutes. Or if we've really been working for a long time, like 40 years, it might be 40 minutes. We feel the world and evaluate it highly. We feel the world, don't we? We feel the world. We touch it. We taste it. We smell it. We see it. It comes into us and we respond to it. We feel it very powerfully. This is our starting place. This is where this work begins with us, right here. Right here in this glitchy software, messed up world. Not only is the world crazy, but we're crazy. Like the song lyrics, let's start at the very beginning. A very good place to start. When you read, you begin with A, B, C. When you sing, you begin with Do, Re, Mi. Do, a deer, a female deer. Re, a drop of golden sun. Me, a name I call myself. You know the song from The Sound of Music? In a sense, you've got to stop listening to the song that the world uses to sing you to sleep and begin to listen to the song His Endlessness Sings to Lead You Home. And see, that's really what Jesus was talking about. Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And what we don't understand is that God is singing the universe into being. And that we need to hear that song, but unfortunately, we're listening to the song, the drone, the repetitive thump, thump, thump of the machine of the world. But underneath of that, there is a subtle, softer, quieter, more peaceful song. 
that we need to attune ourselves to, listen to, and follow. Because that's the song that leads us to our potential. That's the song that leads us in the direction that we wish to go. The world will always lead us in the same direction, to death. Where the world goes is to death. Everything in this world dies. Everything. It starts with do, the evaluation of the work. Then it goes to re, which is the application of the ideas to yourself. Do, you start to evaluate the work. You start to look at it and say, you know, I think this could be helpful to me. Re, well, if it could be helpful, then I need to do some of it. You put it to work in your own life. You'll start to apply it to yourself. Me is the realization of personal difficulties. That's what comes right after you apply it to yourself, is the realization of personal difficulties. But I can't do it! That's right. And it has nothing to do with anything. That's just the way that is. You apply it to yourself and you can't. So what? But, but what's the point? Don't worry about it. Just apply it to yourself and keep on applying it to yourself. You know, you go to a doctor. It's amazing. You go to a doctor and you have a, a, an infection of some kind. And he says, okay, I want you to take these pills three times a day. In the morning after you eat, afternoon after you eat, evening after you eat. Don't take them on an empty stomach. Three times a day, take them for two weeks. Even if the infection goes away, keep taking the pills for the full two weeks until they're all gone. What do we do? We stop taking the pills. What happens? The infection hasn't really gone away. But as soon as the symptom went away, we thought the infection went away. And so we stopped taking the pills. This is just what we do. Because, of course, we know better about everything. How often do we start singing a descending octave at me? We get to me, oh, the difficulties, and then we start to sing a descending octave. We left off with do, re, mi. Now ours is mi, re, do. We get to me, and then we go, oh, well, I think I'm going back. Mi, re, do. This work doesn't really work. We go back and reevaluate do. Rather than realizing that me is this reaching the personal difficulties, the opposition, and saying, okay, this is the note that has to be here. Now we have to have extra breath. We have to have extra diaphragm. We have to have extra courage to blast through to fa, to this next step, which is a big leap here. We've got to get over these personal difficulties in order to get to fa, where it will be easier again so that we can come to the next time of difficulties, make the extra effort. And we've talked about that in recent weeks, about conscious shocks. Our needs, our desires, difficulties, is where the phono needle gets stuck and skips, repeating the same phrase over and over again. Do, re, mi, do, re, mi, do, re, mi. And we just do that over and over again. We never get to fa, because we keep going back to reevaluate do. We keep getting to the me part with the personal difficulties, and it's like, it's not working, it's not working. I've seen people do this for years. You've done this for years. Fortunately, you're not doing it so much anymore. But boy, you remember when it was always that do-re-mi, do-re-mi. Esoteric teachings must be felt emotionally before they can begin the process of transformation of our being. This work is all about waking us up emotionally. That's the problem with us. Emotionally, we are dead meaning emotionally we live, move, and have our being in negative emotions. We love negative emotions. Connie and I were talking about a church. You know, churches are great when it comes to blowing up. Have you ever noticed that churches blow up without bombs? You know, the organist sleeps with the pastor, the pastor's wife sleeps with the handyman or whatever, and then the whole church blows up and the pastor and the, and the wife get divorced or the organist and his or her wife get divorced, you know, however it works. And the church splits and these people are for the pastor and these people are against the pastor and, and then the whole thing just blows up. Those people are never more unified than they are in that. 
They're never more unified. They never, you get together for building funds or this fund or that fund or this program or that program, and you will never see the turnout you will see for an annual meeting to decide who we're going to crucify, who is going to be fired, who is the bad guy. They come out of the woodwork like roaches in the kitchen at night in Florida or Cuba or you know wherever they have those big roaches that come out in the kitchen and I lived in Florida and you did battle with the roaches I mean you really literally did battle with the roaches it's like you went into the kitchen at night if you turned the light on you just saw it move you know well, yes I've lived in some interesting places you know life hasn't always been as easy as it is now <laughs> Connie said to me one day yeah, well, maybe you don't remember the trailer you used to live in in Florida, but you do. <laughs> she wasn't there, but you do. It's amazing, you know. It's like, yeah, I remember the trailer I lived in in Florida, you know, when I was a kid. I actually, I remember it fondly. I remember the people in the trailer park, quite frankly, who were down and outers, man. And I'll tell you what, those people stuck together. They helped each other. You needed something, they had it for you. Because they didn't have much, but what they had, they shared. And I'm in a neighborhood now where you're not even allowed to park a trailer. But I don't even know my neighbors. And if I had, if I had something, uh, fortunately, I have one who anytime he needs something, he does come to me. He's a new neighbor, you know, and he comes to me and he borrows things all the time, which is kind of comical. You know, you know the guy, he comes up, knocks on the door, can I borrow this? So sure, here you go. Anyway, he's the only one. And I don't really borrow anything from my neighbors, but I don't really need anything. So I don't know my neighbors. But boy, when I lived in a trailer park in Florida, I knew my neighbors and they took care of one another. There are things that are worse than having no problems in life. There are things that are worse. But this work is about waking us up emotionally. And as I said, you can see in every, every walk of life that emotionally we're dead because emotionally we love our negative emotions. Nothing draws people together and gets them more inspired than negative emotions. Nothing. Because that's who we are and what we are when we're emotionally dead. To think a thing is valuable is theoretical. Well, I think that's valuable. How many people come across this work and they think it's valuable? Well, that's great. That's, well, I think this could really be helpful. They may think it could be helpful for their husband or wife or somebody, their boss or somebody else or their employees. To feel something is important. To feel something is valuable is certainly more real than to think something is valuable, isn't it? You may find a gold nugget out in a stream and think it's valuable and then find out it's fool's gold and then feel that it's not valuable. What do they call that? Iron, what it, iron pyrite? Fool's gold. I remember one time down in Mexico, we got this iron pyrite in the streams. Oh my God, look at all this gold. Somebody said, you fool, that's fool's gold. What do you mean? It's iron pyrite. It's not really gold. Oh, and everybody finds out some way. For us, moving from theoretical to more real is our dough. It's our valuation. It's our evaluation of the work. We evaluate these ideas, but for us, moving from the theoretical to more of a feeling about these ideas that's where we need to be. That's our dough. That's where we need to evaluate this. Because people find this work, because people listen to podcasts, because people read books, doesn't mean it's valuable to them. They may think it's valuable, but until they swallow it and feel it inside, it's powerless. It's not really valuable. It's theoretically valuable. Can you see how much of this work is theoretically valuable to you? Can you see the tiny portion that is actually valuable to you, that you really have some evaluation of? You really have swallowed it. It really has gotten down inside of you and changed some things. So I went to the angel telling him to give me the little book, and he said to me, take it and eat it. It will make your stomach bitter, but in your mouth it will be sweet as honey. 
I took the little book out of the angel's hand and ate it, and in my mouth it was sweet as honey, and when I had eaten it, my stomach was made bitter. Revelation 10, 9 and 10. What, you think this is about some little book? No, this is about esoteric teachings, people. Take this little book. What's well, a very little thing? It's a little, just a little pill. It'll be sweet as honey in your mouth. Oh, we hear about this, and it's like, it's so sweet. <gasps> oh, I can be transformed. I'm going to change my level of being. I'm going to be so full of love, and oh, I'm going to be insulated from life. All this is, I'm going to forgive. All, I'm going to cancel all these accounts. Oh, it's going to be so wonderful, so sweet. And it hits the stomach, and it's like, all of a sudden, I have this stomach ache. Oh, my, what? Ew, what did I eat? Oh, this is awful. This wor- I'm giving this work up. This doesn't work. This is crazy. No one would do this to themselves. Sound familiar? <laughs> oh, you got to love this part. Last week we talked about needing a stomach for digesting impressions. Now they make us bitter because we can't digest them. Now we get impressions and they make us bitter. You, you mix the work with the impressions and all of a sudden you, you realize you can't do and you, you become bitter. You become disgruntled. You become discouraged. You become all the disses set in. Gurdjieff used to ask people, what do you want? And really that's code for what do you value? What's important to you? What do you value? Because that's what you want. So... You ask yourself and be sincere. What do you want? I want to lose weight. I want more money. I want power. I want prestige. I want recognition. I want to change the world, which is more recognition and power. (laughs) Because people don't want to change the world. They don't want to change the world. They just want to make it the way they want it. I just want what I want. I want other people to get in line. Power. If you think it's something else, keep thinking. You haven't reached the end of yourself yet. (laughs) Some people value health. All you have to do is get sick. And all of a sudden, health is important. Isn't that amazing? You don't care at all about health, as long as you're healthy. Then something happens, it's like, oh, oh, health is really the most important thing. If you got your health, you have everything. And people start saying stuff like that. But they don't say that when they got their health. They only say it when it starts to go. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So then if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. We're really hitting the scriptures today, huh? This is Matthew chapter 6, verses 20 through 22. I don't know, when I was thinking about all this, all these, they all came to me, and I just thought, wow, that's, that really fits right. Wow, you know, these are scraps of esotericism that we have. That's all we have of Christianity is scraps of esotericism because the exoteric religion eliminated most of the truth from it and just kept, they threw away that stuff, and they kept what they could use. They kept the stones and threw away the bread, that's because that's what they do. You know? Because you can't really stone somebody with bread, but you can stone them with stones. You know? And boy, we love to stone people. Like I said, we're emotionally dead, so we love to stone people. We don't like to feed people. We don't want to turn the stones into bread and feed people. We want to turn the bread into stones so that we can stone people, get rid of the bad people, make the separation, the delineation between us and them so that they can see how much better we are and we can stone them for their sins. Well, that's really what exoteric people like to do with Christianity. So there's, that's what most of Christianity is, because most of Christianity is exoteric, and the very small portion that's esoteric, they're ducking stones most of the time. They've got a cover, ducking cover, because the exoteric people are throwing stones at them. You're going to hell because you don't believe what we believe. Okay, well, and you know, and you take esoteric people, they go, well, that's fine, that's fine, I'll go to hell. You won't be there, right? 
<laughs> you know, it's like <laughs> all of a sudden hell is looking a lot more heavenly. You know, you won't be there, right? <laughs> heaven is the place where the hateful are disarmed. No, no. Heaven is the place where the hateful are transformed. That's an expanding state of consciousness is the only thing that transforms the hateful into the loving. If you ask yourself sincerely what you value, you're likely to be a little surprised at the answer. Maybe you've already asked yourself and you won't be surprised. Ask yourself again and see if you get another answer because there's always more. <laughs> there's always more. There's what we think we value and then there's what we feel. It takes a clear eye to fill our innards with light. Our internal kingdom is not filled with light except through a clear eye. And a clear eye is not a divided eye. It's not an eye that's looking this way and that way. It's an eye that's looking in only one direction. It's not an eye that has filters in front of it. I want this, I want that. It's an eye that is single-minded, wants only one thing, a single eye, wants only one thing, light, inner light. When your eye is clear, when it's single, it wants only inner light. Everything else is secondary. Then your valuation is right. Then you have emotionally begun to awaken. You can see how far you are from that now, can't you? And I don't want to hit on that too hard because we don't like that. We don't like that. It's like falling down steps. Ouch. Ooh, ow. Okay, that's over. First thing we do is we look around to see if anybody saw us. <laughs> Why? Because the first thing that we feel hurt, no matter how bad everything else hurts, you may have broken your arm, but the first thing that we feel hurt is our pride. That's the very first thing. We look around. Did anybody see me? No. Whew. Okay. And if they did, well, we can, you know, now we have to proudly get up and brush ourselves off and act like nothing happened. So, yeah, I meant to do that. <laughs> so that's us. That's the way we are. But when Solomon was asked what he wanted, he said understanding. Self-observation is to make things in yourself more and more conscious to you. That's the purpose of self-observation, to make things in yourself more and more conscious to you. Why? Well, when you're conscious, you're more objective. When you're conscious, you're less identified. You're less glued to what is not you. Your car, your house, what people think of you, your pictures, your clothes, your reputation. All of those things are not you. And you're less glued to those things when you're more conscious and you're more objective. If you're conscious to something in you, it can't operate unconsciously through you. If you know what's inside of you, it can't operate unconsciously. How many times have you unconsciously said something to somebody that you regretted later? It couldn't happen if you were conscious of it. Can you see that? It can't work when you're conscious. It can only work when you're unconscious to it. You're unconscious to that. You didn't see it coming. But when you know that that's there in you, you can see it coming. You can see it stirring. And you don't let it work because you're conscious to it. We will not let light in unless we value it, like Solomon valued understanding. You must value this light to let it in. It's the only thing. You must feel it. You must feel your need for this. You must feel what it's going to do for you, for the real in you. Not for the artificial you, but for the real, for what's real in you. There is something real in you, and you're beginning, after all these years, you're beginning to feel it. You're beginning to feel that there is something real in you. And then you can see clearly that everything else is artificial. And you don't know how to get to the more real. But you're stuck in the artificial. And you're trying to untangle yourself just like a fly that gets stuck in a spider web and it tries to get out. And of course, the more it struggles, the more it clues the spider in. Oh, well, I've got something in my trap. And so the spider comes. And what does the spider do? It sucks the juice out of the fly. What juice? The life essence. Didn't we talk about this last week? Vampires. Sucks the life essence out of the fly. Wraps it up so that it can't move and then sucks the life essence. 
What is it that false personality does to us? It wraps up our life essence so that it can't move, it cocoons it, it covers it with false personality, and then it sucks the life out of it. It lives off of it. How long does it do that? For as long as it can. That's how long it does that. But we're wising up to that. We're starting to see that there's something feeding off of us. Actually, we're starting to see that we're not it. We're not the spider, nor the web. Well, some of us are. As we are, we think riches are more valuable than self-observation because we don't know that the house is on fire. It's like people who suddenly value health. Why do they suddenly value health? Their house caught fire. (laughs) Suddenly health is important. They've had a few surgeries. Suddenly health is important. You're young. It's like Joshua said. So Joshua, after he had his motorcycle accident and got all banged up and it's going to take him six, eight months or a year to heal. Well, Joshua, are you going to stop riding a motorcycle? No, no, no. I'm young. I heal fast. It's like, okay. You ask his dad now, hey, Steve, you're going to stop riding a motorcycle? Oh, yeah, that's gone. That's down. I've sold that years ago. Why is that, Steve? I'm tired of healing. (laughs) That's it. I'm just tired of healing slowly. So you get there. We start to realize the house is on fire. We're not interested. We just aren't interested. It's only when the house is on fire that we start to value what is really valuable. We've observed enough to see that some things are obviously wrong about ourselves. Some things are obviously wrong. So we've got to that point. Okay, I'm a mess. You look at yourself and go, okay, I'm a wreck. Not even God could fix this. Not even God could fix this. If he can, why doesn't he? I got one of those, oh, well, I don't feel that way until I say, oh, really? If you don't feel that way, then if God can, then how come he doesn't? Oh, oh, yeah. Okay, you got me there. That's what that laugh was. Okay, you got me there. We've begun to see the wrong work of centers in ourselves. This was something Jess brought up the other day. He, He actually could see that not only was he wrong about something, but he could see what center it was that was working wrongly. He could see that it was working wrongly, and he could struggle against it. He couldn't fix it, but he could struggle against it so that it would stop firing out so much wrong work. He was able to slow it down some. (laughs) He was able to stop it some. It usually was like a machine gun firing out all this. He got it down to a single repeater. Pop, 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 rather than rat-a-tat, rat-a-tat, rat-a-tat-tat. It was pop, pop, pop. One day we'll have it down to a muzzle loader. Pop. Put the ball in there, put the powder in there, put the water in there, ram it down there, okay, now pull the thing back, okay, now put the flint in there, okay, okay, pop. Okay, now we do the whole thing again. So one day we'll get it down, someday we'll get it down to a slingshot or whatever, and we'll we'll be unarmed and we'll stop altogether. (laughs) This has increased our feeling of the teachings, but we've still got a far way to go. Our feeling of the teachings, our valuation of the teachings, how we've evaluated the teachings, still has so far to go. We still are so mesmerized, hypnotized. As soon as the world's song starts playing, we can't even help ourselves. Our feet start moving. We start to keep the beat. We start to hear the rhythm. We start to get up to dance. And it's because we can't hear that word, that song, that's... The still small voice that's soft, that's, that's underlying all of that, that's more real. Ospensky said, we work in the dark at first and self-observation is to let a ray of light in. He talked about our internal machinery being like a vast factory lit by a couple of small candles. We don't see mechanical associations and connections or how one thing depends on something else. We don't see how this machine is operated by the belt that is a half a mile long or 10 years long or 50 years long, and goes all the way back to this thing in your childhood that turns it 
and the belt all the way up here, out here, 50 years later, is turning, and we don't see that it's connected to this little wheel back here. We don't see those connections because we've just got a couple of lights inside, a couple of little small candles inside that don't shed much light. Mechanical associations, connections, sleep. Our level of being attracts our life, and we don't understand this. If we did, we would value changing our level of being more. What do you want to do? Do you want to decorate your house? Do you want new carpeting? Do you want new paint? Do you want new windows? Do you want new furniture? Or do you want to change something inside yourself? You want a new car? Or do you want to change something inside of yourself? There you go. You want a fat bank account? Or would you rather change something inside of yourself? Well, I'll take the fat bank account and then I'll have plenty of time to change stuff inside of myself. Yes, but you won't. You won't do it. What will happen is you get that fat bank account and I guarantee you, your treasure is your heart will be your heart will be there and you will not change anything inside of yourself the only way that you'll change anything inside of yourself if you start to lose some of your bank account some of that fat's cut away oh yeah then you'll be surprised how quickly you return to esoteric teachings i'm not surprised i've seen it so many times like well they'll be back when it hits the fan we think our troubles will be solved with more money we think that the elimination of troublesome people the elimination of troublesome laws. Well, now they got a new law, and my truck's going to be obsolete, and I'm not going to be able to... No, 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 no. We think if we could get rid of all those laws, we get rid of all these troublesome people, if we could just have some more money, if the weather would just agree, blah, 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 blah. That's my signature, blah, blah, blah. Then our troubles would be solved. The trouble lies in ourselves. It's in us. To see this will begin the process of transformation. But it's a process. It won't mean you're transformed. It will begin the process of transformation. But I want it all to be done now. Well, good, so do I. It's just that's not how it works. Self-observation begins to make us conscious where we were not conscious. And consciousness is light. And light frees you. That's how it works. We've got this vast factory with all these hundreds of machines in them. And they're all broken. They're all broken, out of time, dirty, rusty. Some of them have missing parts. Some of them are wrongly connected to other machines. And we've got a couple candles in there, and we're trying to fix it. We need to light a few more candles. That's what we need to do. Then we need to light a few more. Then we need to light a few more. And the light will fix the machines. We don't understand that. How can light fix machines? Don't worry about it. It's a parable. <laughs> it's not literal. It's not stone truth. You don't have to hurt yourself with it. It's different. Your being can't change unless you become more conscious of it. How conscious are you of your being? Well, I'm, I'm totally conscious of my being, right? Until your being gets away from you and attracts something into your life that you didn't want. Well, I didn't want that. Well, your being attracted it. No, it didn't. I know my being entirely. I know everything about my being. It did not attract that. Uh, <laughs> uh, you don't value the work yet. You don't value the teaching yet. When you value the teaching, you will go, I don't know how my being attracted that because I don't know my being. But I know that if it's in my life, my being attracted it. And now what's up for me is to find what in my being is attracting that. If through self-observation you become more conscious of your being and what's in it, your being will alter slowly, a little bit, and you'll no longer attract the same things you attracted. Just that simple. There's only so much room in us. There's only so much room in this factory. It's limited. You can only jam so many machines in there. We must sort through what we value, getting rid of the external valuations. You only have so much room in this place that is you, inside of you. Some things must go. Some things must become more valuable. John the Baptist put it another way. I must become less, he must become greater. What's real must become greater. What's external to what's real must become less. What's internal must become greater. What's external 
must become less. What, I have to give up everything? No, you have to give up your attachment to it. And the fact that you have to ask, I have to give up everything, shows me that you're attached to it. And it should show you that you're attached to it, but it may or it may not. Because you have to have understanding and you have to have light to be able to see that. And we have light and understanding when it comes to other people, but not much when it comes to ourselves. Have you noticed that? Yes. It's amazing. Our artificial side won't agree with this at first. (laughs) It's not going to agree. It's not going to like this. Sweet is honey in the mouth and bitter in the stomach. The more real side of you is more valuable than the artificial side of you. But you've got to feel it. If you can't feel that, it's all words. And words, words in and of themselves have no power to do anything to you. It's the meaning that you give those words. It's the understanding that you get from that meaning that is the key to your transformation. You can do this. It's just a matter of letting more light in. And you will do that as soon as you feel this work more fully. Often the practical application of these ideas sounds like it's going to be easy. The ideas sound great. When we actually run into a situation or person who's being a little more difficult than we'd like, we find it's not as easy as we thought it was going to be. If you've hit a snag with some aspect of this work and its practical application in your everyday life, I invite you to write James at SolidRockVista.com. Sometimes a fresh perspective is all it takes to get us back on the right track.